Common Ground. We're back in business. Um, I'm joined with my my comrades. Sorry, Will, for saying comrade. Um, no offense taken. <laughs> Introduce yourselves. My name is Will Hufftown. Uh, and I'm Cooper. Obviously a little rusty. It's been a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're back. Um, we, uh, we did talk a couple times about coming back, I think, before uh, the election, but it just never really materialized, so... You yeah. know, here we are. We're we're here. We're Things are finally to, slowing uh, down. Sorry to all the fans out oh, yeah. there. Our millions of fans. Saw you guys begging us on Twitter, various forms of social media. But we're back. We're back. Uh, so let's get into it. We're back and better. Finally, <laughs> finally in person now too, which is yeah. Much better oh yeah, we're all, so we're all in the same room. I I hope the audio turns out all right for this. We'll probably publish it either way, but. Um, <laughs> Hopefully the audio doesn't sound too quiet, but yeah, so we got a couple of fun topics. Um, hopefully we'll catch up on a couple of, of you know, topics that, that we, we missed along the way just through conversation. Um, but we, we wanted to talk mostly about the election today, um, you know, talk about Trump's claims of fraud, either side of the argument, kind of see where people stand on that. Um, want to talk about the Electoral College, because that's been brought up a couple times and you know, how, how much do we like that system? Do we, do we want to change that system? What are alternatives? Stuff like that. Um, what was the other one that I mentioned? Electoral college election. Was it two party system? Possibly. Maybe. I can't remember. I mean, we can talk about all that. Yeah. Um, like gerrymandering too is another one that we can touch on. But yeah, it's going to be all about elections. We're going to be talking about hopefully every topic that we can touch on but a little more brief you know I want to keep it as a short episode just so we can dip our toes in the water before we jump all the way back in um but we are going to dive right into it sorry for all the swimming metaphors but we're going to dive right into it um and I, I got this little so I'm, I'm doing a project on the electoral college so I've got this little outline I guess for the conversation pulled up that it was that's for a paper but we're going to use it for this um, so I guess the first things that we can talk about is the system itself. Like, do we feel like we all have a good understanding of the system? The Electoral College? Yeah. Like, do we feel I, like we have a good understanding of how that works? Good enough. Right. Like, tr- try and explain it to me, maybe. Uh, every state is awarded, or it's, it's constant, but every state has a certain amount of electoral votes. States with higher populations generally have more electoral votes. Uh, Here's where it gets hazy for me a little bit is, from my understanding, it's that uh, whoever wins the popular vote in the state gets all of the electoral votes from that state. But I've heard different things being said about that. Yeah, so I, I can explain all of the different caveats and kind of like how the system works down to specifics will do you do you want to add anything before i do that yeah i mean kind of going off that too is so whoever gets the popular vote that gets all the electoral votes but then they can technically like go against the status quo right and then like so say a state goes red if they really wanted to like could they go blue is there a punishment for that that's like where i'm who do you mean when you say they like like um the electors mm-hmm. yeah the elect okay the electors, right congressmen right women. so so let, let me keep a tally. We got we got faithless electors is one topic, and then um, split electoral states is the other topic. So those are those are two kind of special situations. 
And also there's a couple of special situations in the Electoral College where you can end up with a tie, and there's all this stuff that happens with that. But um, I'll start with the two, the two special cases. So the reason that Cooper probably heard that there was a situation where um, you could have some electors go to one candidate and other electors go to another is, for, is because he's from Maine. And Maine is one of only two states that has that situation where multiple, elector, uh, multiple electoral votes can go to different candidates. Um, so the way it works in both Maine and Nebraska is they have three electoral votes. Um, they have two districts and, you know, the winner of each of those districts will get an electoral vote. And then the winner of the state's popular vote will get the third electoral vote. And so that's how those states work. It's pretty straightforward. It's just a little confusing, I think, because it's kind of like an exception. Um, but that's that's that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I knew that. But. Also, why? Why are there congressional districts? What's the point? Yeah, it's because voting is mostly a state law thing. Like, it's mostly a state legislation, uh, I guess, ordeal. Like, how voting is conducted is different state by state. If, if you look at pictures from actual ballots, you'll notice that the ballots look vastly different in different states. And some people argue that different states have ballots that are purposefully misleading, um, just to confuse the shit out of people, I guess. Did you see the uh, Miami district that they put in, like... Uh, for their representative, there was a man under the name of Rodriguez running uh, against this other woman. Uh, Rodriguez was a Democrat. And then on the ballot, there was a mystery third person with the last name Rodriguez. Yeah, and I did hear about that. They didn't have any, it wasn't real. Yeah, just like meant to throw him off, basically. Yeah. And it worked too, right? Like yeah. the woman won. It was, she won by a tiny, tiny margin. Wow. Yeah, so that's that whole situation. It's a state law thing. Some states have changed it. I think it's harder for bigger states in general. Like, you know, then you'd have to figure out which, which you know, different districts have how many electoral votes. And it's a much harder situation when you have more than three electoral votes is the point. And, you know, you might have different parties who get frustrated at that. But that's that situation. So the next situation that we talked about is faithless electors. And this is really interesting because it's actually a really recent thing, but it was kind of swept under the rug. I don't think most people heard about this. Um, but in 2016, there were seven faithless electors, um, people uh, who were in states who that voted for Hillary. But I, I guess for whatever reason, um, at least in the majority of cases, it was Hillary. I'm not sure if it was all of them, but they didn't they refused to, to give their votes for Hillary. And, and some of them went to like John Kasich. And it, it was very strange. Um could they have gone to Trump? Or- they could have. Uh, I think it was really just the fact that there is no, no laws um, in most states. Uh, in all of the very blue states, there are laws against faithless electors. But um, in most states still, there are not laws against faithless electors. So uh, technically, there's no reason, there's no legal reason that shouldn't have happened. But I think the conversation is more about, like, should that be legal? Like, do people yeah. really want faithless voters making the decision for them. And I, and I think it represents a larger um, issue with the system that it was created during a time where we had assumed that, you know, the elite and the, the, the academics and the people who were smart enough to vote should be the ones making the decision when it comes down to it. So it was almost like a, a, a fail safe that was put into the system. But now it obviously has too much power because you know, where things are so divisive and, and people can make decisions and corruption and yada, yada, yada. It makes so. absolutely no sense to me how that's still in place. No sense whatsoever. Like, how could you have one person who could change the election by themselves? It could happen. That just, I, I don't understand it. I think it's still, like, kind of the best way, though. The way our country, like, the all the elites are on the coast, 
So, like, to have the Electoral College and just, like, give the... Or just well, the way, like, the delegates are... I get that, but I'm saying is why why does it have to be up to these electors? Why couldn't there just be no electors and whoever wins the state gets all the electoral votes no matter what? doesn't matter. Yeah, I think, yeah. interestingly, people don't... People, I guess, think that they're voting for the president, but in a, in a real sense, in, in, when it comes down to it and, and procedure-wise, you've never really actually voted in a presidential election because the electors are the ones who are doing the actual voting, and that takes place, you know, like a month or so uh, after the actual election. So I think it's over a month. It's about a month and a half. Interesting. That's, does that, like, affect the legal grounds for, like... Actually, I don't know. That might be a stupid question. But I was thinking, like, with Trump's disputing all these, um, all these states that went blue, like, isn't it already up to the um, delegated electors to kind of make the decision? So wouldn't that, ma- like, that wouldn't matter anyways? I guess is my point. Because if they, if they did want to like break against like the faithful elector, they could have voted for Trump anyways. Um, I think that was kind of a long and confusing question. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of, wait, well, so what's, what's the main right. point? What's the main point? Main point being like, so these, like the congressmen and senators who vote for the president, like they're the ones who are actually making the vote. It's not a popular vote by any means. So how, I don't get how it's such a big deal when Trump's um, making claims that like he actually won the pop, he won like, he actually won these states when in reality it's like it doesn't matter because, um, the elected officials are the ones really making the decision and voting. I think the point is that there was not many instances of faithless electors prior to this recent example that were like kind of modern. So people, I, I think it's more just people are noticing norms going out the window and it's, it's scaring people because of the potential, you know, if that kind of thing were to become commonplace. Because what happens if, you know, in a situation like this, they, the Republicans figure out a way to decide who's going to be the elector. You know, I'm not exactly sure how that situation works, who decides what electors are chosen, but I'm pretty sure it has something to do with the votes that are counted. So, um, you know, what happens if you have an elector who decides that they want to go and, like, change the course of the election, right? Yeah. I mean, that's going to piss off a lot of people. Mm. Is there one elector for every electoral vote? Um... That's a good question. I'm not exactly sure if it's done that way or if it's chunked up into districts. I think I'm pretty sure it is, right? Because it's just the amount of congressional representatives. Yeah, I I think it might be. I think it might be. If I remember from AP Gov correctly. Yes. We have to brush up on our AP Gov. It is is that, but I'm pretty sure they nominate other people to formally be the elector. Also, one thing that's interesting is that um, you're casting two votes for the president and vice president technically um and that caused issues in the past like early on in american history where like you'd have there was one instance where there was like one party had a vice president and and one party had the president but obviously that was like patched out we had an amendment so you know that doesn't happen anymore but there's still a situation where they're casting two votes and um you can't cast both of these votes if the person who's casting the ballot in the electoral college is from the same state as both of the candidates. So like you can't have all four people be from like Virginia. I just thought that was interesting. interesting. It yeah. was like a weird That's safeguard a... that like is totally like 
doesn't apply to current day, but it's in there. You know, it, it's something that's like kind of like a little curio. Imagine a Trump presidency with a Kamala Harris VP. <laughs> <laughs> that would be ridiculous. <laughs> that oh my god, I can't even imagine that. The, all right, so <laughs> so all right, cool. I feel like we've we've brushed up on our electoral yeah. college. Do we have um, any other questions about that that I can like answer? Everything's feeling, clear. We feel yeah, like we understand the situation. About it. yeah, it's not. It's sense. not like super complicated. It's yeah. just a little complicated. Just just complicated enough that people can't yeah. understand it. You know. Um. All right. So I guess the next little thing to talk about is gerrymandering, and gerrymandering is another interesting one. Gerrymandering is actually actually legal, um, and gerrymandering is essentially the redistricting of states. And I believe this is decided by some sort of majority in Congress um, as to who is doing this redistricting. So, you know, say you have a majority in the Senate, by if that's what the metric is, then you would be the one deciding. Um, and that person uses the census data to figure out a way to redistrict the counties. The interesting kind of um, exception to this is that there's no real rules as to what like needs to guide your redistricting so you can kind of redistrict by whatever metric you want and that's led to some really really ugly redistricting maps um, notably the democrats in maryland and the republicans in north carolina and i'll just talk about the republicans in north carolina not to be biased i'm trying to be unbiased here but just because um that's like a recent example and they basically redistricted the states in 2010 after the census and it was really, really well done. Um, a lot of people credit this redistricting with why Republicans were able to win so many seats in um, the Senate, not necessarily the House, but the Senate and also the presidency in 2016. Um, and also the midterms, they did better than they might have been expected to in 2018. And obviously 2020, we've seen what happened. Um, so there's still the residual effects of this redistricting in many states, but um, basically, it was taken to the Supreme Court, and it was found in 2015, and then again in 2018, um, that they had done these divisions based off racial like guidelines, so they were dividing people based off race, essentially. Um, essentially, racism in action. Uh, this was decided in 2015, then they redistricted, and again in 2018, they found that this new redistricting was also unconstitutional. So... You can kind of see gerrymandering has kind of had some run-ins with the law, but for the most part, gerrymandering remains something that's legal. You just need to do it by a standard that's not, I guess, deemed offensive by the Supreme Court. Interesting. What would be deemed offensive? Well, it's all based off precedent. So, so far, the only thing that we know that would be deemed offensive is basing it solely off of what the person's race is, <laughs> which is pretty specific. That's almost what already happens. Right. I mean, yeah. but there, there's so much room for interpretation there. You can think if you just get creative and you think of the right statistic, you can definitely, you know, cut people up based off other demographics that will be beneficial. And, and so just to describe to you what gerrymandering is, there's stuffing and there's cutting. So for some districts that are very primarily blue, you want to cut that district. So like mainly cities, you want to cut that in half split that very high density blue vote and then put them into districts where you have the majority so that you can win that and split up that big majority of people. Here's my question. Uh, why was gerrymandering legal in the first place? What, like, what was the goal it was meant to accomplish, which obviously has been kind of clouded recently? It's, it's honestly just a loophole in the way that we apply the census. 
Yeah, and the way that we, you know, we just didn't have enough specifics in our constitution as to how we decide, you know, how many people are in Congress and all this stuff. So the census became really important. And there's not a lot of guidelines around how we interpret that census data and how it's applied to, to redistricting purely because there's not a lot of precedent in the Supreme Court, essentially. Yeah, well, it's just like another thing that doesn't make sense to me within our government. Like, everybody knows. Everybody knows that it's used just for election purposes. There's no real, like, good meaning behind it. I mean, there, but there is, theoretically. Is there? Theoretically, yeah. Like, explain. I mean, theoretically, the point is that you're supposed to redistrict every now and then so that you have, you know, good split up of voters that's representative of their beliefs. And it's not, you know, because people move. You, you never know. Yeah. The census is meant to, to map out these these moves. We've had great, uh, you know, documented flights of people in the past. There was like white flight um, and also there was the slave flight after slavery ended to the north. So we've had, like, massive migrations. I mean, more recently, I could think there's tons of examples, like, you know, people have moved to California, and that's been a big thing recently. Now it's starting to look like Texas might be expanding. So, you know, there's all these different things moving on. People move a lot. And in order to keep up with that, you need to redistrict every now and then. So theoretically, there's a good purpose. Okay, yeah. It's just often used improperly. And and I'm sure some states have laws that are against gerrymandering at this point, but it's still an issue for many states. Interesting. Is there is there a way to change that, like, or would that involve some changing, like, of some big federal laws? I mean, I I think the way to change it is you just basically need to either put in legislation that tightens the rules around it that's very specific about what you can redistrict with and what you can't, or there needs to be some Supreme Court cases that set precedent for how it's interpreted. But um, it's one of those that I think is just going to remain an issue for a while until something gives. And, I, and in order for something to give... You know, someone's going to need to be in power that wants to bring change. And I don't think that conservatives are going to do that. And I don't think the country's in a place where it's really ready to move in a progressive direction like that, which is why I don't think it's going to change. Yeah, I don't see it changing either. But it is what it is. All right, so we can talk about ties next. I don't know if that's exciting. It's pretty simple. It just basically goes to the House. Every state gets two votes or something like that, or one vote or something, and it just goes based off the states. Oh, so if it's a tie, tie yeah, election, if it's like a tie, sixty-seven each, or yeah, I forget the actual number, but yeah. So and that's it, that's not like honestly, that's pretty easy to explain. Yeah. Um, we can talk about electoral college alternatives. Cooper just left. He's going to the bathroom. He couldn't hold it. So, electoral college alternative. This was. I don't know. I, this was an interesting one because I remember uh, after 2016, everyone was like, oh, why don't we just do a popular vote? Yeah. Like, it just makes more sense. It's democracy. Yeah. So talk about why. What, what don't you like about the idea of a popular vote? I think, well, it's at first I was like, oh, that does make sense. Like, just do it by the people. But now uh, there's so much um, interest in our country in middle America, like flyover country. So that it's important that they like get represented and everything because if it was popular votes, then all the candidates would just focus on the interest of the coastal elites like California, New York, Boston, Washington, like, and then they would just not pay attention to anyone in Middle America. So I think it's a it's a really good method. Um, probably just needs to be like tuned up a little bit. Talking about a, the idea of a pop a national popular vote, and he you mm. know you heard what he said. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> 
yeah, I think I got the end of what Will was saying. I, I honestly, I do agree with Will. If, if it goes to a national popular vote, it'll just be dominated by the cities. Um, and I don't think that really... It's, it's, it's complicated because, yes, most of the people live in the cities, so that's kind of who represents America, right? Is America represented by its cities or everybody else? I think, you know, it should be everyone. And yeah. I think that's yeah. kind of the purpose. Plus, like, all yeah. the farmland and everything, it's where, like, the food and shit comes from. Yeah. Pretty important yeah. that you get represented. But it's like, interesting because I, I think that I agree with you, actually, in the sense that I don't really... I, I, I fear letting that rural area go unheard and those people becoming really discontent with the government. But I also recognize that when you have a situation where, you know, millions of voters... Um, are voting for one candidate over another and that other candidate can still win. I think you have almost the inverse situation where now you feel like the, the, and I don't even really want to call them coastal elites because it's not even really coastal elites at this point. It's, it, it's all down through the South and you know, Georgia, Georgia flipped blue. Right. So mm-hmm. a lot of surprises down there. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I worry that those people are going to become disenfranchised too and have become disenfranchised. And that's why it's going so far left in cities because people aren't seeing the change that they want to see. And it feels like, you know, especially considering the academic divide, you know, I I think it's really hard for a lot of people in these rural areas to keep up with all the innovation that's going on. And, you know, for that reason, a lot of times they feel left out or like that they, they can't understand something and, or not even that they can't understand something, but something just doesn't make sense to them, so it must be wrong, and they can find a simpler, easier answer in other things. And obviously, I'm referring to Trump. And I think because of that, you have a situation where you still are representing these rural voters, but do they even really know what's best for themselves? I, I, would, that, I mean, that's obviously a tough one with certain respects to, like, technology and everything. And specifically on, like, social issues, obviously, they don't know what, like, LGBTQ means and all that whole avenue. So, like, that, I I don't know, that I don't think is the most important thing. In terms of, like, um, like actual growth and, like, poverty, rural poverty, I, I think they do know what's best for them. I mean, I would, because the thing is, like... I don't know. It just like makes sense. Like they're looking out for their best. Maybe interest, maybe right? in a lo- yeah. Sure. Go ahead. What I was really wondering is what's what are the main issues that these rural voters are voting on? Like what what's making them uh, vote Trump? Besides, like, is there really some like meat and potatoes behind what they're voting for? I mean, here yeah. Here's my thing: is like when I say, do they even know what's best for them? I r- red states take up the most welfare and blue states provide the most to welfare and tax dollars right so really that's actually yeah surprising. oh yeah oh yeah i would expect like blue areas to take a lot more because it's like more more urban poverty versus rural but you you would expect that and you know I, I think that's also because this is individual welfare and i think you know these urban areas get a lot more corporate welfare which is something that's you know to take into account but still i i think the point is these people who are living in these areas and you you know you hear about oh well we want to introduce socialist policies they don't really realize that socialist policy is literally designed to benefit these exact people it's blue collar workers it's meant to benefit the worker that's the whole idea of like marxist ideology is you know policy designed to benefit the worker and i i feel almost sometimes that these people are being tricked into 
ignoring or or just like not even like opening their mind to the the basic ideas behind these other things because they get labeled as socialism and, and they're like evil and people just yeah. like fear that word and like that's just an example like climate change is another do these people know what they're voting for when they vote against climate change and they vote for you know expanding fossil fuels and you know especially considering how volatile fossil fuels has in terms of a future over the next you know 20 30 years tesla's doing really well you have all of these renewable energy companies shooting up for for transportation so i i'm just not sure yeah i think definitely a big problem is the socialism label because it's, it's um like saying that from um from the right is like so derogatory when they think of socialism because it's just like oh just look at like venezuela or these other countries that failed um but i think implications of socialism as well as capitalism like need need to be used together to create like the most like free market with like a safe net um without like causing too much moral hazard as possible but then the other thing ben you brought up i thought was interesting was like marxism or like the marxist idea which i one of my classes last year uh, contested u.s uh, issues in the u.s economy like the professor was like pretty much a marxist like he was his whole argument was like capitalist is doomed and pretty much like the the common workers are going to get so upset with like the owners of industry that they're going to take over and because that's like what marxism yeah. is right it's just I like mean, yeah essentially yeah it's just like eventually everyone needs or like it's just going to become so polarized with capitalism and get more and more further to socialism and then further to eventually communism yeah i think um so yeah, that whole thing is interesting because the way he described it was like a, like a pendulum swing, and it's like getting closer and closer to, the doomsday of capitalism. Yeah, um, you know, one thing that I think that's interesting to point out is historically in the U.S., socialism has come up a couple times actually in our history, and they've all coincided with fairly large, um, economic crises. So you know, we had like the eighteen eighty stock crash. Um, Black Friday that that year and then you know the Great Depression both Mm -hmm. saw fairly large and and like obviously like the jungle um, by Upton and the meatpacking stuff that also was like very involved with socialism um, and Marxism they've all come up when there's been economic turmoil so people don't really resort to socialism unless they see a need to unless they see a divide and I think ignoring people wanting socialism to cure whatever's causing that divide is is ignoring like i don't know what the best option to help the people like it's almost like ignoring the fact that we have a wealth gap instead of addressing it like we have in the past we've had multiple solutions yeah i have a question yeah do you guys think that if we kind of start going more down that path more towards socialism would we see the u.s kind of decline in its status as a world power why because maybe less gdp i think i i think it's really just depend on depends on how it's done and obviously it's like most most people who are in the like zero to a million income brackets they're not going to make the difference in like gdp on the global scale it's going to be like giant industries like automotive industries um a lot of industries in china too um, where the labor is super cheap. Yeah. So that's like a whole other thing because China is pretty much just like a free... Well, first of all, they're communists, but like they're, they have... They sell super cheap labor, so that's why everyone goes over there and that's how they essentially... 
They're not Mostly even really communists anymore, honestly. They they used to be, but like they're and they kind of still have a structure, but it's it's communish. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> communish. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a interesting question. Um, another thing China does is they like pur- they purposely devalue their dollar, which is obviously very hmm. kind of immoral on yeah. the global scale because it's just like here come come use our slave labor essentially like make iphones nike clothes 50 cents an hour yep <laughs> where'd this all start i uh, i don't know dude it's like cal- rural voters and stuff like that yeah yeah i know it's kind of kind of went off the rails but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, well back. we got a couple minutes left yeah we can talk about trump a little bit actually we can okay. talk about what trump's oh, saying i remember what i wanted to say too with, yeah. with respects to trump is i think like a big reason why so many uh middle america voters like love trump and uh role voters too is the industry that he wants to bring back to america and he makes this whole thing of being for like the blue collar worker and everything so then that's how they see that and then they see Trump's like lowering taxes for lower income brackets, like I don't know, say zero to five hundred K, they obviously like to hear that. And then they see more jobs come back, which like has actually happened in many cases, like carrier, um I, that's like the only one I know of, but I know there's a couple others. That's true. I mean the the job creation was good. Obama actually netted more total job gain than Trump, which well, is interesting. Kinda of because of two thousand eight. Right. I mean, but Trump had COVID too. It's they both had their issues. Yeah. I, Obama yeah. provided very like slow, steady recovery, and I think Trump's recovery was very erratic. But you know, high highs, low lows, kind of um, borderline artificial, in my opinion. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. Like, what, what did What did you say before? You talked about oh how like the like how Middle America is like much more favor in Trump, which you were thinking like seems unreasonable because there's more like progressive policies that you think would work for them um, yeah oh yeah so you, you talked about like jobs and and i guess just like more money coming in but here's why i don't think that's going to work right what what markets are we competing with for industry jobs industry work blue collar work not not necessarily like manufacturing jobs but industry jobs you know and, and even yeah. maybe manufacturing jobs if we want to go there like but i uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking like automotive like for automotive stuff obviously that's getting exported what countries mm-hmm. is that going to like where where is all this labor coming from right now um he's trying to bring it back from like i don't know mexico is another one because like a bunch of the nafta he thought was bad and then china i don't know how many companies he brought back from china but that was like his whole concept is like bring industry back to the u.s right but, um, but in order to do that we need to outdo the, their their economic output right and so right. We're, we're going up against countries like china which exploit child labor which yeah. exploit their their laborers in it's general which use um indentured servitude for you know people they have internment camps and, and mexico is honestly nearly a cartel state at this point so yeah. they have a lot of issues with corruption they're trying to clean up um but in, in a lot of areas it's still kind of messy so you know it, it's it's a constant battle for them that's not that's not to the detriment of them you know that's kind of just an issue they've they've had for a while but my point being like you can't really compete with those markets without re- deregulating a lot and i think that deregulation is only going to serve to worsen this this wage gap that has been created by you know wages not going up people not getting paid enough and when you have deregulation, I just think that's going to get worse because companies need to compete. And if mm-hmm. you don't 
provide a floor for them, they're going to keep trying to get every last cent out of every possible avenue they can. And that yeah. means exploiting workers. Yeah, no, that's a very good point because that's literally the markets that these American companies are competing against because, like, why would they outsource their labor? Because it's cheaper, they get more profits off that, bring it back to the U.S., then there's all these rules and regulations which are ethical and are good, um, but then it, like, uh, they're not as profitable and everything. And I think, like, also, um, like, automotive industry, a lot of those old jobs are kind of, like, out of date here in the U.S. I think it's, like, new industries. Like yeah, you know, and I, I think there's a lot of other reasons why socialism seems appealing to people, including like jobs just being outsourced to things that are like out of our control, like AI, you know, robots have already started taking your order at McDonald's. So, you know, yeah. what's to say that you're not going to walk into Ikea and a robot's not going to just bring you exactly what you want after you order off a menu, right? Yeah. So I'd rather have it be a person, but you right. You'd <laughs> rather have it be a person, but for IKEA, that makes more money. It's yeah. easier. They don't have to. They just pay electricity. They're gonna have bills. to start making regulations around that as we get further into the future. It's bound to happen. I mean, Other that's the thing place. is we either we either do that or we change the way that we value society because I think the thing with capitalism is you know I I don't think capitalism's bad. I don't think it's a bad structure. I just think it doesn't necessarily work for us anymore. I think capitalism did a lot to advance humanity. Mm-hmm. It brought us to where we are today. It made humanity modern in the sense that we no longer need to deal with a disconnected globe. We no longer need to deal with, you know, things being hidden just because we don't know about them and, and monstrosities being committed. You know, crimes, crimes at the lowest point it's ever been in global history, okay, across mm-hmm. the globe. So we're doing well. Nice. But I just think that we're getting to a point where we need to reevaluate why we're doing all of this. And if we don't have the need for so much labor, why are we still cranking it out of people? Like, why don't we revalue what we, what we ask out of people as a society? Why don't we have our governments provide for us in, in more substantial ways, considering that there's this less need for labor, and we focus more on, you know, commerce that isn't just <laughs> purely exploiting the earth, right? Like, like, I don't know, art or like making things or, yeah. or technological advancements or stuff that actually helps us, right? Mm. I don't see why we don't just try and transition towards that. It doesn't make sense to me. Like, what, what is it in the name of business, what do, making what more money? What do people in rural areas do? What do they I do? mean, but they need, they, they need to work and make money, right? But like, I, I just don't, it's not necessarily saying that those people in the rural areas can't keep doing their work either. I think that those are, st- those are industries that we're going to need for a lot more time. But it's just saying like, why do we have so many people being forced to like work, 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 and then buy, buy, buy when it doesn't really need to be happening anymore? What, what cases like specifically would you say like, like work, 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 buy, buy, buy? I don't know. I just, I, for instance, the the total value of the dollar has, um, or inflation has increased at a at a rate that outweighs the pace that people are being paid at, like in in terms of wage increases. So, and also the money is worth less. So people are getting paid less, and that money they're getting paid is worth less because of inflation. So we should have already had a Nash a federal you know wage increase per inflation. But we haven't. And so now there's this massive wage gap because people can't even get into the, the investing class in terms of buying property, in terms of getting money into banks, in terms of getting money into you know, funds and, and the stock market and all of this stuff that's going to actually help their money increase. They can't even crack that. And so they're left behind. And it's just because we have a system that no longer like it just doesn't need this many people like it. it what, what are we really working for in the U.S. at this point? Like we can we can focus on bigger and better things while still providing the same thing for our people without like 
just funneling money to McDonald's so they can pump more burgers down people's throats. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying and I get everything. And I kind of, I do agree with you on a basic level. I just think that's super unrealistic for our country. Like, getting there. there it's such a radical sweeping change that I don't, it would take years. Like, maybe even a century or two. It well, just, I mean, but people people say that, but like, there's... There's been drastic changes in country in the past. I I don't think yeah, it's out of the question. A country and like the U.S. I'm not suggesting revolution either. I I think I'm just merely suggesting that we look towards a different future instead of the one we're looking towards now. And Is we that think not where bigger. we're going though? I don't think so. I I really don't. I, I we have we have a, a, a military industrial complex and a system of money that funnels through politics that's too robust to crack until we have someone who is voted into office who's willing to make changes that crack it. But here, here's kind of my view on it, is that if you want this to happen, you're going to have to elect more progressive candidates to the presidency. And, like, are we going to be able to keep, like, a blue run? Well, no. I, no. And that's the issue. That's, uh, that's kind of the issue with misinformation and social media. And, you know, I wrote a paper last week that said um, free speech is holding America or holding society hostage or something like that. Um, you know, all dramatic and shit, but basically the general idea was the fact that people can speak so freely is almost counterintuitive now because free speech can be interpreted in many different ways. And some people are so smart that they can speak so freely and, you know, with so little behind what they're saying that they can convince people with, you know, almost any point as long as it's delivered the right way. And, you know, again, obviously in my opinion, I'm speaking about Trump and I think what, what has been a campaign of misinformation and, you know, as long as it's presented well, it's presented formal, it's presented from a person in authority, it's presented from a person they like and they're told to like by all their favorite news channels and all this stuff because reinforcing it, it's like there's no reason not to go along with it. Yeah. Yeah, there should be free speech as long as it's true speech. Yeah. I, the, th- the distinction was the difference between freedom of speech and freedom of thought. So, um, yeah, we, we just had a special – you want to say hi? We had a special guest visitor. Johnny, uh, <laughs> you guys on? You guys well, it's a, it's a podcast. We're, it's a podcast. We're recording. We should, we're probably, probably going to wrap it up. Like, yeah, yeah let now. me go. Let me know. Uh, All right. Yeah. You guys are good. I think we're at 40 minutes now. Well, you know, social life calls. We're not, we're not philosophers. We, <laughs> we still really, college students. We are college students. <laughs> You know, maybe yeah. once we're all uh, old geezers at the age of 25, we'll have more time to record podcasts <laughs> with each other. But um, for now, I think that's good. Uh, do you guys have any closing thoughts about anything we've talked about? Um, Getting close to about 40 minutes here, so. Yeah, I think I'm good. It's yeah, a good, good conversation. Work. Yeah, I, I think it was productive. I think I, I'm. we should talk, or like, I don't know, we started talking a little about like wages and inflation, yeah. which I love to talk about. So possibly We can definitely have an economics <laughs> episode next. Sweet. Starring Will. Yeah. Look forward <laughs> next Maybe, maybe honestly, maybe even later this week because we're, we're gonna have time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We might do one later this week, economics based. Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Common Ground. Uh, tune in possibly later this week for another episode. <laughs> Yo, see ya.